Oh, hey there, Twitter. It's Wednesday, and we have a great show for you. We'll be talking to the esteemed 11-year-old journalist, Jaden Reports, all about the debate. <laughs> Who's trying to steal our jobs, honestly. <laughs> and after that, I sit down with Kate Walsh, the star of Grey's Anatomy and 13 Reasons Why. So you stick right there, and we will see you on the timeline. Good morning, Twitter. I'm Zach Stafford, she's Alex Berg, and you are watching AM to DM. Happy Wednesday. Happy Wednesday. I'm so tired. I know. <laughs> I'm a little bit tired from staying yes. up for the debate. Yes, yeah. and that's why we were tired. We were not out partying or, you know, at Studio 54, which does not exist. No. But we were watching the debates and doing our jobs. We were. But tonight, you're not going to be watching. Sure not. Maybe you are going to be watching, but you'll be on a plane because yes. you're leaving me. I will be live tweeting from this plane that allegedly has Wi-Fi. We're going to see what happens. <laughs> but I'm going to LA for a few days, which means I will not be interviewing Governor Hickenlooper. Nope. That will be with Sylvia Obell and Alex Berg. Will be fantastic. They may steal both my jobs at the same time. May, I may not even exist here anymore. It's possible. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm back on Monday. I'll be right back. From yes. Los Very excited to co host with Sylvia. And of course, there will be another debate to discuss tomorrow. But uh, first, should we talk about last night? Let's talk about last night. Let's talk about last night. Yeah. So last night was the debate, and memes exploded across the internet. Here's a tweet from Hannah Jewell. Marianne Williamson headed off stage to fight the dark psychic Ooh. force. There she goes. <laughs> there she goes. And here's a tweet from Crazy Broke Asian. John Delaney before and after getting scalped by Elizabeth Warren. <laughs> that like, is the side by side is really it's so good. It's, uh, it I is so good. That she had hair. Oh wait, she didn't. Oh, oh yeah. One <laughs> might uh, say uh, there were moments when Elizabeth Warren appeared to mop the floor. She. With those men, it, I mean, people you know? joked. The memes were incredible last night, and most of them revolved around Elizabeth Warren single-handedly. Ending Delaney's. <laughs> she said, you know, why would you run for president and talk about things you would never do or can't do? I was like, girl, spill. Spill that tea. Yes, ma'am. Yes, either that or a lot of Marianne Williamson yes. uh, banter and memes yes. and jokes and discussion. Our dear Marianne Williamson, who was on the show the she other day. She was on the day, show. She was, yeah. Um, she was quite the star, breakout star. And we're going to get into that more in a bit, I yeah. think. Oh, I'm sure we will. But let's take it to the timeline first. What are some of your favorite memes and tweets or gifs from last night? Let us know using the hashtag am to dm all right, so here's a tweet from Democratic candidate Elizabeth Warren. It was great talking with Jaden Reports after last night's town hall in Toledo. He had some important questions for me, and I answered. Keep up the great work. You've got a bright career ahead of you in the newsroom. And here's a tweet from MSNBC. Fresh off his interview with Elizabeth Warren, 11-year-old reporter Jaden Jefferson shares who he thought performed well on the first night of the second Democratic debate and who was the, quote, odd one out. Mm. Joining us now to break down last night's debate is journalist Jaden Jefferson. Good morning, Jaden. Good morning. I am so excited to have you on the show. I just have to say that before we start asking you any questions. <laughs> you are literally everywhere, Jaden. Yes. <laughs> um, so anyway, first off, you were at the debate. You were up late last night doing cable hits on the debate. Did you sleep at all? I think oh, it looks like I was kind oh, of tired. In fact, I stayed up till. You stayed up till. It sounded like you said you stayed up till three in the morning. Yeah, it was about three o'clock in the morning when I actually went to bed. Wow, late. Well, before we talk more about the debates, we want to know a little bit more about you and uh, how you got into journalism. Um, so, tell us, how did you end up becoming a reporter? Well, I met a NBC Four reporter on the street in New York when we were on vacation. And me, I just wanted to get a picture with him because he was a reporter. 
So we came back to Toledo and about probably by maybe about a year or that same year, um, we met our local meteorologist, Jay Birchback, when we toured our local station, 13 ABC. And uh, he kind of got me interested in meteorology. So I probably spent like a year uh, thinking about meteorology as my career choice. But then I got more into politics. But then I kind of came back to TV and things like that. And that's when, as most recently, um, I've been shooting news stories at basketball games and sporting events and just shooting all a variety of stories from political stories, uh, business stories and all those type of stories. So, Jada, you are stretching across a lot of different beats there. But which beat are you really gravitating towards so early on in your career? Politics. Um, I definitely would have to say politics because I've been into politics for a few years and I've seen a lot of things from last night's debate to the 2016 election. And I think I'm really good with the political analysis part of it and also covering the story in an unbiased fashion. Well, we're definitely going to get into all of that because we want to hear your take about the debate last night. Um, but first, just tell us, what has it been like getting all of this national attention? It's been wild. Let's just say that the first day after the uh, Elizabeth Warren interview, um, it's like a lot of people were contacting us and I'm trying to keep up with those. So my mom, a.k.a. the momager, she had to schedule all these interviews. So it's definitely been crazy. But I'm like, I'm just it's you know, it's a good problem to have. It, it seems like a great problem to have, Jaden, especially as a journalist right now. So let's jump into this analysis. We're going to really walk with you through uh, what happened last night. And we can't wait to get your take. So first up, last, CNN is getting a lot of blowback for the questions they asked. People are saying they weren't asking the right questions, that they were not good. You know, you were a person that went viral for asking really good questions to Senator Elizabeth Warren. What's your take on C CNN's style last night? I mean, I think people really want to have journalists ask those really tough questions for me, when I see other news networks asking these questions, they're asking them for a reason, for a certain reason, because there's they want to address the uh, candidates in a way that the American people would be pleased with that. You're not always going to be pleased with the questions that they're going to ask. But I mean, you still have to give them credit because they actually took the time to really go over these questions and to make the debate come together. But I don't think they were softballs questions because, I mean, every journalist, we're not supposed to ask. Oh, it looks like James. But that's something there. we oh, don't we always do, and it's okay. Okay. Yeah. Can you hear us, Jaden? Yes, I can hear you. Great. Uh, you're, we're dropping, uh, losing your connection a little bit, so we'll just let you know when we do. We'll check in there. Um, you know, as far as the candidates, uh, who do you think got their messaging across the best last night? I would definitely say that I noticed this during the debate. A lot of people were coming at Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders for their policies. Uh, so a lot of people were critical of those two. But I mean, the person who talked the most, according to CNN's website in the uh, live uh, polling things, uh, it was Warren who talked the most. So just because you talk the most doesn't mean you got your point across. But I think she was really trying to get her point across. Mm. And, you know, someone that seems to get their point across a lot is Pete Buttigieg in the past debates and past press yes. moments. What did you think about his performance last night? I remember he said this. He said the Republicans are going to call us socialist no matter what we say. So we need to stop going our judgment from the Republicans. So that really stuck out to me definitely after uh, Donald Trump called the four congresswomen uh, socialists. So that really uh, came up and really had a mark on, left a mark on me hearing that. And I'm like, okay, that's something interesting to look into. But Pete Buttigieg did make a good point that uh, they, Democrats will be called socialists no matter what policies they want to initiate 
from Republicans in this time because it's a great divide in Washington. Hmm. Now, uh, we mentioned earlier that there was a lot of commentary about Marianne Williamson in particular. Um, What did you make of how she did last night? I would definitely say that from her performance last night, I mean, like you probably saw my MSNBC tweet interview, she was kind of the odd one out. I mean, I think all the other candidates, you know, were trying to flow, but I don't think she really flowed in last night's uh, debates. I mean, she, I can tell she was trying to kind of make a point, but I wasn't really receiving that point mm. from my mouth. Yes. And, you know, she's been doing a lot of media lately. She was on this show and that same critique of her in her statements have, has been made. So good job on that one. Um, so John Delaney last night was getting a lot of airtime and people were getting kind of pissed off about this. Do you think he was getting more time than others? And then also, do you think he was being used to kind of create more debates between the candidates, specifically Warren and Sanders? I can definitely tell that in a few of the, uh, the clashes I've seen, John Delaney was the face of a few of them. So I definitely say he was the face of a few clashes, but I wouldn't say he was getting a lot more airtime than the other candidates. Mm. So tonight is round two of this debate. Um, what are you going to be looking for? I'm definitely going to be looking forward to hearing from Kamala Harris. I remember in the NBC debates about a, probably about a couple weeks ago, a few weeks ago, I can't remember that. But uh, I remember when she said, Americans don't want to... We still have you there, Jaden? Strong quotes like that in tonight's... Uh, Yes. Anything else that you're looking for tonight? Um, I'm also looking forward to hearing hearing from Cory Booker. I want to hear what he has to say. But, I mean, there's a variety of candidates. I can't name them all right now, but I would definitely say... (laughs) I mean, I I hear you. I hear you on that one. (laughs) But I would definitely say I'm looking forward to hearing from Kamala because she is a rising star. Gotcha. She yeah, and she is rising in the polls, uh, especially lately. So, Jada, beyond the political stories this week, what are some of your dream stories that you're looking for and chasing down after the debates end tonight? I would definitely try to get a more uh, get an interview with another uh, presidential candidate. Right now, I'm trying to work with uh, Tim Ryan's team to get an interview with him. So I'm definitely looking forward to maybe probably getting some more presidential candidates reach out to me uh, if they have time for an interview, because I would love to speak with some presidential candidates. And and Jaden, are you interested in elected officials like President Donald Trump? You know, he's a pretty hard interview to get for many folks. Is he someone that you would be interested in touching base with? Uh, Definitely. There's a lot of issues right now at this time that I would want to probably have a public statement from the president on. So definitely that would be a great interview. And also his take on the debates. Was he watching? If he was watching, what's some analysis from him? Mm. Yeah, no, um, what advice do you have? I want to know about uh, the conversations you actually are having with uh, other kids your age about what's going on. Um, have you heard from any of them? Um, do you have a sense of the kinds of things that they care about, uh, that they want to hear about when it comes to the 2020 election? Well, I, only, I can only think of one kid that actually really speaks politics in my school, and he's actually in the next grade. But um, I would definitely have to say that uh, for about 99% of the other people in my class, well, probably 60%, a lot of them, the one thing they like to talk about is Fortnite. So I don't know what Fortnite is. I don't know how to play it. But uh, they're not really thinking about the 2020 election from what I've seen. But I do have a few uh, people in my class who I can talk to about the elections and things like that. Okay. And Jada, our last question for you today. How are you planning to balance your new journalism career as one of the top journalists in America right now with going to school? 
Uh, definitely, I'm going to still work on that. I'm definitely going to say that in the evenings after I get off of school, homework's first. But I can always incorporate and uh, do stories on any news event. It would just have to be at a different time than now adjusting to the school set schedule. But I'm definitely trying to balance that out. And me being local here in Toledo, um, my job now is not just to cover Toledo news, but national news. And since a lot of people that are looking at my stuff are in different states. So I'm really trying to, you know, incorporate national with local news and serve my community. Mm, serve your community. Well, Jaden, thank you so much for joining us today. It has been a pleasure getting to know the person that's probably going to take our jobs one day. So if you're looking for anything, <laughs> call us. We'd love to mentor. Just work with you on not stealing our jobs too soon. Yes, please. <laughs> Have a good day, Jaden. Thank um, you for having I have to say, I, I mean, as soon as I saw him, I had like such unbridled enthusiasm because I was so excited. Like, like I love just kids engaging yes. with such timely issues and just being so inquisitive about the world and just not being afraid to ask those questions. Like that's I, a big deal. I'm Let's overwhelmed by the brilliance. And you know, it's just, Jaden, you are shining bright and yeah. I cannot wait to overwhelmed. see you go. It's just, overwhelmed. I'm just so happy for you. Yeah. God. yeah. Anyway, all okay. right, switch. <laughs> we gotta, whew, gotta, gotta get it back under control. Not everything about Jaden, uh, but it can. <laughs> Well, switching gears this morning, kinda. Here's a tweet from Danny. The Bachelorette, the CNN debate, panning to another random white dude who I swear hasn't been there the whole time. Kelsey McKinney tweeted, to be clear, the Bachelorette dumped a guy, got proposed to, it fell apart, and just asked the guy she dumped out on a date on live TV. And y'all are watching the debates? I mean, I have to say, like, both of these things were crossing paths Ooh. on my timeline. Yes. To the point where there were some tweets about The Bachelorette, and I was like, I don't know, is that about, we're talking about some dudes? Is yeah. This the I saw a tweet about a Jed, I think, and I thought Jed Bush had come back, and I was really <laughs> concerned about everything, and if I was back in 2016, but we were not. Instead, it was The Bachelorette, which we do not watch, sadly. No. A lot of folks we work with are obsessed and love it deeply. Um, but I think what happened last night is something that we are both engaged with, because it sounds like she went through a breakup or she got with someone and then like it threw back the, the engagement. It's just kind of a mess, but it sounds like the yeah. guy she was engaged to, it had all the red flags. And yeah. girl, you should not be with these people. Well, here's the thing that it brought up for us, I think, is that, uh, you know, one, you so rarely in life actually get to change course in your relationships mm -hmm. when you've made this kind of decision and you so rarely get a do-over, just kind of getting a do-over. And then number two, I think we've all been in situations where there have been so many red flags or we've had a friend and they're dating someone and there have been so many red flags for them and you're just like, girl, what are you doing? Like, why are you dating him? And I don't know what it is that makes it so <laughs> difficult that sometimes you have to learn for yourself. I'm sorry, I'm just laughing because you're talking about is it, is this ringing up? Is this ringing <laughs> up a lot for you about right now? Me, everybody. Yes, yeah. I am that girl. I have been this way for many years that always is dating the person that everyone says, don't do this. Why are you doing this? And you know, for me, I always see these red flags as change opportunities, things to make different and make this person better. And every time they don't get better, they just stay garbage. And you know, I have been in situations where I have been dating someone, have found out similar to The Bachelorette that they have a significant other and kept dating them. So she made a better decision than me. <laughs> I stayed on that wagon and then got thrown off later. <clears throat> I have no further commentary on this matter yep. um, regarding you and uh, this, yeah. this, this issue. Well, but, let's uh, think about other know, people. Yeah, yeah, exactly, let's take it in the timeline. What are red flags that you've ignored in relationships? Tweet us using the hashtag AMTDM. Significant others. All right. <laughs> Later on in the show, I'm sitting down with Kate Walsh, Walsh, who you may remember from Grey's Anatomy, but especially Private Practice and 13 Reasons Why. But up next, it's time for Fire Tweets. Fire! Fire! 
Welcome back. It is time for fire tweets, uh, but still gushing about Jaden. And we have this tweet yes. from Mrs. Smith who says, I want all of my news from this kid from now on and cosign. cosign. I do too. Like, I am still, I, I cannot get over it. I just. He's so good. He's so cute. And yeah. he's so like perfect to be a journalist. He is going to go very, very far. And also, you know, talking on TV is not easy. No. You got to get your point across. You got to say your sentence. Be done. And like, he's, he's got it down. You can't eat your words. Exactly. You can do all these other things and stumble. And he he's was good. hitting his marks. Yeah. Come on, Jaden. Yeah. Yes. Well, we stand a young icon. Yes, a so, young legend. A young legend. Go. Yes. All right. Marsha, you tweeted. Me luring followers in with my memes and humor and then educating them about serious social issues. <laughs> <laughs> I would love that her, she's getting all these memes made of her first and foremost. But yeah, me every day. Like, here's this thing and it hits you. Come for the like goofy meme. Stay for us getting real serious yes. and earnest about we'll call things. Call this wokeness. You know? <laughs> all right. Well, Mark, you tweeted. Trader Joe's employees are legally required to scan one item in your cart and say, Ooh, these are delicious or dangerous. These Ooh, are dangerous. these are dangerous. They are, delicious. They, are, they are dangerous because they are delicious. Uh, yes. This always happens whenever I uh, buy the dark chocolate peanut butter cups. And dark chocolate like, pretzels. I'm like, I cannot stop eating these things. And Just, then they're like, oh, dangerous. They're like, you're you going to eat these when you get home. And I say, That's no, true. girl, I'm going to eat these on the night. <laughs> you're actually walking through Trader Joe's <laughs> yes, eating them right there. Yes. <laughs> no, you tweeted. My debit card is starting to feel like a gift card. Not sure how much on it, but we'll give it a try. Ooh, it's like, wow. ah, you know, maybe this thing is maxed out. Maybe I don't have any money left on it. Like, let's just, you know, we'll see. We'll Y'all see are playing games with your future. Because <laughs> here we have another tweet about the same topic. Snatch Tria, you tweet it. Some days I have $3 to my name, and some days I have $6,000. Same demeanor. <laughs> what I want to know is, is it that your demeanor is that of someone who has $3 to your name at all times, or is your demeanor that of someone who has $6,000 to your name think, at all times? I think they just don't give it The same They're like carelessness. I'm alive. I'm moving through this world. I don't need all the money because I'm good. Oh, yeah. well. All right. right. Tweet of the Tweet day? Tweet of the day, yeah. Comes from Anthony. Have you ever read a text and thought, see, this is why I don't like talking to you. <laughs> I can't. This one appears to I resonate. I feel so seen today by all of these things. <laughs> I am the absolute worst at texting back. And sometimes it is because some of you do this. And I'm like, what makes you think you, you can talk to me like this? So I put you on, not even read, I just unread for days. And for and then you there. just don't respond. Yep. And then you've forgotten about it. Sorry. So cold. Sorry, we'll so get there cold. eventually. eventually. I'm, I'm going to go back uh, through our text messages and see how long it took you to respond. Ooh, don't do that. <laughs> all right. Well, coming up, I'm sitting down with actors and businesswoman Kate Walsh. But up next, we're talking about celebrities who should stay in their lane. Mm -hmm. This is from A to Z. Claudia tweeted, Mario Lopez not only claimed women are liars when they come forward and share their sexual assault experience, but he also thinks it's dangerous for children to explore genders and sexuality. Wow. So he's disgusting and canceled. Mm, and Kristen tweeted, Mario Lopez, it's dangerous for, for parents to support transgender kids. What's dangerous is not supporting your kids and making them feel shame or anxiety over how they feel. That's how you end up with dead kids, Mario Lopez. And Jay Bernard tweeted, you had only one job. Maintain your dimples. Whoop. Which, <clears throat> listen, this is one thing that I was thinking about. Whenever uh, celebrities or high-profile people um, weigh in on something that they don't have a level of expertise on or uh -huh. something they just didn't have to weigh in on, it's you, like you, you didn't have to. Shut you, up. Yeah, you didn't, you didn't have to say anything about this. But 
that did not happen. So here we are. And in an interview with uh, Candace Owens um, from June, uh, Mario Lopez had some things to say about trans kids, Mm -hmm. um, as well as uh, women who come forward with accusations of sexual misconduct. Mm -hmm. Um, And in talking about uh, trans kids in particular, they were talking about Charlie Theron and um, celebrities who uh, throw their support behind their kids who are trans or gender nonconforming. He had to say this. He said, look, I never want to tell anyone how to parent their kids, obviously. And I think if you come from a place of love, you really can't go wrong. But at the same time, my God, if you're three years old and you're saying you're feeling a certain way or you think you're a boy or a girl or whatever the case may be, I just think it's dangerous as a parent to make this determination then. Mm. So, Okay, let's clear some things up, okay. Mr. Lopez. Mr. Lopez, when we're having conversations around gender and sexuality, what should you not do? Alex, do you have the answer? What? Conflate them. These yes. are not the same thing. Yes. These are not. Gender and sexuality are very different. And when we're talking about children exploring their gender identity or even young trans kids, we are not, I think you're assuming we're talking about surgery. Is that what he's referring to? Yes. That's not the conversation we're having. The conversation that we're having is that young people want to explore who they are to find who they are. You know, it's very well known through lots of scientific research, which you should read. There are a lot of great researchers that study this that say between the ages of five and 13, young people begin to understand that they have an identity. I think myself, I came out as gay or realized I was gay as at five or six. Through that period, they're going to do a lot of things to try to figure out who they are, what they want to be, and sometimes it's playing with their gender. That's yeah. where this identity of tomboy comes from. Yeah. You know, where young young women who do play with their gender identity and may do more masculine things like play soccer, which I don't know why we call that masculine because Marie, because uh, you know, Ms. Rapinoe is really kicking everybody's ass. But we give them time to figure out who they are, and it does no damage. What does damage is doing the opposite, which is what you're advocating for. So I'm confused at who you think is harming whom, because right. you are doing the damage. Right. One of the things you're getting at is that uh, you know he did conflate uh, gender and sexuality. Mm-hmm. He kind of blanket statement called it all sexuality, but we know these are two distinct things. But uh, you know what we really want to get at, I think, is that you know trans young people yes. um, really face staggering levels of suicide and bullying and other hurdles. And I don't think anyone here is suggesting that, uh, or, or even having a conversation about three-year-olds having any kind of surgical intervention oh. at all. That's not what this is about. This is about affirming your children, making them feel loved, making them feel supported. And I don't see how you can possibly go wrong with those things and having frank conversations about gender identity and sexual orientation. As you said, a lot of times LGBTQIA people, including ourselves, Mm -hmm. you you know early on you have a sense of your identity, you have a sense of self, and you're often internalizing all of these really heterosexist messages. Um, I've been getting a lot of tweets that are like, these are kids. Why are we talking about this when this comes to kids? I just think of all of the Disney movies, for instance, Mm -hmm. I was exposed to as a child that taught me the only relationship you could have that could be of value could be a heterosexual one that already convey so many messages about gender identity and who you are. So let's not pretend that kids are not already stepping into this complicated world. Exactly. And they live in the real world in which we sexualize them already. And by sexualizing, we mean we try to assume that they are straight and tell them to live that life. So I remember being in first grade, I at one time had two girlfriends, both named Brandy, so I wouldn't forget their names. Really complicated. I'm not a good person. (laughs) But I was celebrated for that. But I do remember kind of asking people around me at that time, like, what about boys? And that was immediately condemned. So we do see this a lot where parents say, oh, who are you dating? And if you were to say a boy, then something bad happens. And this shows that we are in a culture in which these things, we are having conversations with kids. You just don't want to talk about yeah. it when it's queer. Yeah, and the one other point I want to make is that, um, you know, they also talked about this Believe Women hashtag, uh, and basically he raised concerns uh, that, you know, boys who are accused of misconduct, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the, the consequences 
challenges that they'll face. Um, and I just want to remind everyone that uh, false accusations are incredibly rare, that uh, when survivors come forward, they often have so much to lose. And women and other folks who are coming forward and sharing these experiences, um, you know, it is really difficult to come yes. forward. And we all just want a modicum of the same respect that you have when you're coming forward and immediately defending these boys out of the gate. Yes, so TLDR, believe people. Mario, learn it today, please, because you may become canceled. Well, let's take it to the timeline. Tell us about a time a celebrity should have stayed in their lane. Tweet us using the hashtag AmToDoom. Could have just said nothing. Could have just, just said nothing. With the dimples. All right, well, up next, I'm talking about the connection between Victoria's Secret and Jeffrey Epstein and how the company isn't keeping up with the times. Ooh. Jordan Holman, a retail reporter for Bloomberg News, tweeted, Victoria's Secret was made for men. No, seriously, it was. We look at the lingerie company's history, its owner, Lex Wexner's past, relationships with Jeffrey Epstein, and how the company struggles to move forward. And Jordan joins me now. Good morning. Good morning. So um, I want to dive into this story. Uh, can you talk about what uh, Jeffrey Epstein has to do with Victoria's Secret and how has his relationship with owner Les Wexner shaped the company we know it as we know it today? For sure. So Jeffrey Epstein has definitely been in the news in the past few weeks. And so what my colleagues and I wanted to do was look at his connection with Les Wexner, who owns L Brands, which owns Victoria's Secret. And so they've had a really long relationship. Um, at one point, Epstein was Wexner's power of attorney. And so the company says that, you know, they've ended their friendship uh, a dozen years ago. But the, the, you know, the, that breakup wasn't as clean as we might think. Um, Epstein had an investment in a modeling agency that has actually supplied Victoria's Secret with some of the models for their fashion show. Mm. Now, uh, how has it come to be that uh, Victoria's Secret is a brand that was kind of made for men? And why isn't that male-focused business model working for them now? Yeah, so Victoria's Secret started in 1977. And it was started by this man named Rory Raymond. And so he had went to a department store to buy some lingerie for his wife. He did not love that experience of shopping. So he thought, hey, I should make a store for men to feel comfortable to buy women's underwear. So that's what they, he did. First Victoria's Secret opened in California. And so since then, that's kind of that's in their DNA to make products and have the store be comfortable for men to walk in. So that's how you get the sexy products. You have the fashion show where men are, you know, tuning in to watch women um, barely clad walking down the catwalk. And that's really hard for them to turn away from. Now, the conversations around uh, fashion uh, have changed so much and become so much more inclusive. Uh, and, you know, of course, you've seen this all with like body image. And it seems like Victoria's Secret hasn't exactly kept up uh, with uh, a lot of the cultural norms that we uh, have now arrived at. Um, can you talk about how Victoria's Secret is kind of out of step with all this stuff? Yeah, in the past few years, it's been really interesting to see this body positivity move. Um, so the idea that whatever size you are, whatever shape you are, we're going to make products and clothes that fit you. You don't have to, you know, diet to get into the clothes that we want you to wear. Victoria's Secret, not so much. Um, and because they haven't kept up with the times, that's one of the reasons they lost $20 billion in market share when other competitors like American Eagle's Airy, um, which is super body positive and uses models of all sizes, has really become popular. You have Third Love. You have all these other e-commerce uh, companies coming into the space and customers love it. They have younger customers, they have more diverse customers. And meanwhile, Victoria's Secret hasn't changed its product completely to adjust to these times. 
So why hasn't Victoria's Secret been able to adapt to some of these changes like these other competitors that you just named? Yeah, so it's still a very male-dominated company. So Les Wexner, he is in his 80s. He still has a lot of control over the company, L Brands. Um, and then in addition, there's only two women on their board. So when it comes time to make these really big decisions about business strategy, there's not many women around the table um, and not the, the younger customer base um, isn't probably top of mind. So that's one reason it's hard. Um, and then also the fashion show, it is one of their main things that they're known for. And there's um, their CMO is a 71 year old man, Ed Razik. He takes a lot of joy in you know controlling that fashion show and viewing, like his views of women are very narrow in terms of how important the models are and that there's only a certain type of woman who can walk on the catwalk. So that also goes to their idea of who's the ideal customer. Now, you mentioned uh, that, I think, $20 billion figure earlier. And so we've seen reports that Victoria's Secret isn't doing great. Um, but just how bad are they doing in the wake of all this stuff? Yeah, so $20 billion in market share since 2015. And that was also around the same time that they lost their female CEO. So now even the unit of Victoria's Secret is being run by a man. Um, in addition, earlier this year, they announced they were going to close about 53 stores this year. And in previous years, they closed about 15. So they're really accelerating um, closing stores. So they have that um, in terms of like their product. You know, they took away swimsuits a few years ago. They're trying to get back into that. Um, but in, in that few years time, a lot of people have come into the space. And so now customers are used to shopping other places. And with all of that said, when you still think about like shopping for a bra, people do think about Victoria's Secret. They do still have market share, but that's very hard to hold on to when you're not giving customers and women today what they want. All right, well, this was a really fascinating story, uh, something that I didn't know a lot about. So thank you so much for joining me, Jordan. Thank you for having me. And up next, Zach sits down with actor Kate Walsh. All right, so here's a treat from B. I wasn't born gay. I watched Kate Walsh as Addison Montgomery in Grey's Anatomy, and she made me gay. Same girl, same. <laughs> so I'm so excited to be sitting down with the incredible actor, activist, and businesswoman, Kate Walsh. Hi. Hi. How are you? Oh, I'm so thrilled to be here. It's so great to have you. Do, yeah. you. do you notice a smell in the air at all? Do you notice something? Is it called Boyfriend? It's called Boyfriend. I wore it. Oh, snap. Did you put it on? I put it I on. because I've got it on. <laughs> you I'm did? Like, yeah. I'm like, oh. Oh, my God. You're wearing it, it, too. Yeah, yeah. They brought it's it back so to lovely. me in the control room, and they said, if you wear this, you'll get a boyfriend. And I was like, Shh, Oh, snap. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Do you like it? It's really good. Oh, it's good. delicious. It's, it's delicious. Good. Isn't it yummy? It makes it, you want to take a little bite out yes, of yourself. Ooh, well, we're going to get to that bite. But let's <laughs> first start talking about your new project. Um, yes. so your movie, Sell By, has been making the rounds at film festivals. Let's take a look at it. Okay. Well, if you and Marklin would just get married. Mm, not taking his money, Elizabeth. It's not taking money when you're married. It's called sharing. That is marriage. I mean, why are you so against it? I mean, I marched my ass in the snow for your rights. <laughs> I don't know. The thing about gay marriage... No, 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 no. Don't say it. It's so gay. It's not funny. You're deflecting. It's not even on the table. It's because you're so vocal about how you don't want to do it. What? And end up like Haley? No, thank you. Well, not everyone gets divorced after a year. Yeah, some people last five, like my parents. Damon and I got engaged the first week we met. And look at us, still together, 15 years later. Come on, look at He put the ring in a bagel. It's French! You are insane. Uh, it looks so good. <laughs> I love that you're also rubbing in his face that you have a successful relationship, and I believe he does not. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> well, you, you have know. to watch the movie. It's so good. Mike Doyle wrote and directed it. And, you know, obviously it was Scott Evans, um, who plays my, I play his bestie, mm-hmm. and he's in a relationship with uh, Augustus Prue. And it's really, it's a great film. It's funny. It's heartwarming. It's also, I just think, a beautiful story. It's a, I, it's the first, you know, thing, um, rom-com that I've seen that's mm-hmm. been centered around an LGBTQ couple yeah. and their friends. And it's really, uh, it's great. I'm yeah. so proud of everyone in it. And Patricia Clarkson, uh, Zoe Chow, Michelle mm-hmm. Buteau. It's an incredible all these, cast. It's a great cast. Yeah, great Colin, cast. yeah, Colin's in there. Yeah. And, you know, this is not your first time being in a film that has LGBTQ themes. No. You know, one of the most important uh, roles I've seen you in is in Under a Tuscan Sun. Right. Where you play uh, a queer woman, which yeah. I love. And, you know, you where have, I met Sandra. Sandra, yes. Yeah. Yeah. has an Emmy nomination yeah. again. Oh my God, again, I'm so Amazing. proud of her. She's so, so good. So what's it like to be taking up space or being a part of films that were telling LGBTQ stories at a time that they weren't as widely as accepted? And then what's it like to see them more widely accepted now for you? Well, I think that's the great thing about the internet, honestly, and uh, social media in general, that it's made, you know, now it, things have changed so much where it's now c- content, mm-hmm. you know? And so we have all these different platforms to view stories, and it's given people of all different backgrounds and um, uh just all different socioeconomic and demographic and mm-hmm. LGBTQ and people of color have these opportunities now to tell stories yes. where they didn't in mass before and have people see it and audience for it. It's really, really powerful. Mm-hmm. And then it makes it all the more special for, I think, filmmakers and storytellers who were telling these stories before, you know, and even including, um, you know, not just uh, uh, Audrey Wells, who uh, directed Under the Tuscan Sun, who's incredible, but but also just... You know, Shonda Rhimes, mm-hmm. duh. It's like, <laughs> you know, Shonda yeah, Rhimes. yeah. I mean, that just kind of trailblazing, yeah. ground, groundbreaking, you know. Yeah. Um, everyone, yeah. Yeah. I and mean, you know, Adam Ball, I can, you know, go on and on, just every, you know. And like a through line in what you just said is, for me, activism. You know, creating yeah. these stories is changing the world through representation, yeah. but it is a form of activism. And you have been an activist for so long. What inspired you to want to change the world for the better through your art? Well, my parents, my father was an, an immigrant. He came over from Ireland when he was a little boy. And he, most of his adult life, was a union advocate. Um, that's what he did. He sort of fought for labor rights, mm-hmm. workers' rights. My mother has always been socially active. My stepfather is a shrink. So there was a, <laughs> we were sort of modeled that in our home and always to give back. Um, we, you know, everything, uh, it was just sort of modeled for me. So when it, when I was not, when I, when I actually finally made it as an actor and I wasn't working three different waitressing jobs and, um, you know, I was like, okay, what can I do? How can I be of service? So I think that's just the natural and also just intuitively it just feels like, what can you do once you kind of have your dreams, if you're fortunate enough to get your Mm -hmm. dreams, you know, and this is such an incredible generation, your generation and younger people are are active much younger. When I was 15, I was just, you know, like, where's the party Friday night, yeah. you know? <laughs> now people are so active and conscious and aware and and being of service. And it's and I think that's, a, like, such an inspiring thing. Yes, yes. You know? and, and young people are, do seem very engaged. And I don't know if you saw earlier in the show, but we had a young 11-year-old reporter on. No! Oh, my Elizabeth God, Warren. stop His it. Jaden. Um, and he's kind of the viral star of the day, and he's really incredible, but is a great representation of what you're talking about. Young people yeah. getting engaged. Yeah. But I want to ask you, you have 
a different type of person involved in activism in your life. It's your dog, Rosie. My dog, Rosie. Talk to me about that, because I love a dog activist. Rosie, she's just, you know, we gotta use everything we've got here. (laughs) Rosie the dog, um, I'm actually a huge animal lover. Mm -hmm. I've grown up with animals, with cats and dogs. We always adopted, so um, animals have been always a big part. In fact, she's from, uh, she's born in the Bronx under a house. So she um, is my little baby, and um, there there she is. There's a picture, (laughs) she's so cute. So she's amazing, but um, I got, I'm really excited because I got to partner with um, Zoetis to talk about uh, little doggy allergies. They're doing a great campaign called um, My Dog's A-Game. And Mm. basically what I got Rosie, when she was even a puppy, um, she did this little thing with her paws where she'd scratch Mm -hmm. her face. And I thought, it's so cute, and took pictures. And I'm like, oh, it's allergies. (laughs) So took her to the vet who prescribed Apoquil, which is a great it gave her great relief. It gave, I had used it on my other dog who would get hot spots. And you know, allergies manifest differently with doggies. They mm-hmm. can't, I think, I believe they understand English and many other languages, but really? they can't speak them. Oh. I have a friend who also spoke Dutch to my dog recently and like they, they, they understand. So wow. I, anyway, that's another, that's I'm going That's a whole other on. segment. That's a whole other segment. <laughs> but the point is they can't tell you, um, Dog allergies usually manifest with skin and ear scratching. It's not like ours. So, um, you, and you can't give them human allergy medication. Okay. So Apical has been a great thing. And the funnest part of this campaign with Zoetis and Apical is that they um, want everyone to take pictures of their dogs, their, on their A-game, mm-hmm. use the hashtag MyDogsAgame and go to MyDogsAgame.com, oh. upload the picture. It could be a dog selfie. It could be oh. just, um, and then Zoetis will donate $10 to... Um, Canine Courage campaign, which wow. is um, really incredible. It um, helps dogs with medical expenses, retired service dogs, military, um, and police dogs. So it's a pretty cool campaign. That's amazing. That's yeah. incredible. Yeah. Well, switching gears a bit today. Yeah. You know, you're in the show 13 Reasons Why. Yeah. Very, very popular show on Netflix. And there's been a lot of discussion lately on their decision at Netflix to take out the suicide scene that you acted in. So I would love to know what was it like being a part of that scene? Because it's really heavy. It was really hard to watch. I think that... They left the part in where they still left it where where you know the guy Brian Darcy James who played Hannah's father mm-hmm. and I find her yes but they took out the actual scene that showed her yes self harming self harming um, and there was a lot of debate about that and ultimately I it's not I'm an actor and I'm there to portray the characters best as mm-hmm. I can, the most accurate, with the most, hopefully, passion and empathy that I can. So I fully support their decision to take it out. Mm-hmm. I think there was a lot of back and forth, and, like, with careful consideration, you know, I think they went for the what they felt like was better for the greater good of the mm-hmm. show and the program. And um, I think a lot of people have been helped by 13 Reasons Why, and um, I'm, I'm just proud to be a part of it. Yeah, yeah, and, you know, we have seen that show start a lot of conversations across the world about yeah. suicide in teens. Has it yeah. been a great... What has it been like for you to be a part of that conversation, which I think has been quite productive for the world? I think so, too. Um, it's been very powerful. I, you know, All of us who took part in that project leaned in for the right reasons, from everyone from the top of the, the food chain to the bottom. I mean, every single crew member mm-hmm. has been affected um, by suicide, yeah. you know, by a family member or a friend. And so it was a very emotional and committed and thoughtful um, project for me and everyone involved. And I'm really proud. I mean, people would come up to me in airports and say, you know, thank you. Or I remember this one woman handing me a note saying, you know, my daughter and I watch this together in her school. There's no education on mental health until people, they're 17, which is too late. It it's is too late. Far too late. Far so too late. I'm really proud of the show and what Brian Yorkie and the rest of the cast and 
Joy Gorman Weddles, everyone who's a part, a part of creating that uh, yeah. is done. And yeah. Dylan and Cal, everyone, they're so good, yeah. all those actors. They're, Not to mention amazing. that they're all delightful and incredibly talented. Yes, they are. The, the cast is incredible, yeah. and you all do a great yeah. job. So you're Thank also you. on a different show on Netflix called Umbrella Academy. Oh, yeah. So which is great. Yes. Um, you know, Ellen Page is in it, all these great people, too. Fantastic. Mary J. Blige, yes. yeah, it was so fun. It's amazing. Yeah. So I'd love to get your thoughts on streaming services. You know, they're taking over the world. What has it been like to taking be Taking over. They're everywhere. What's it been they're like to, to be I know. part of, like, some major shows on them and how do you think it's changing television? Well, again, back to what we were talking about before for LGBTQ storytelling and other stories, that I think that the expansiveness of it is just great. That's one of the great things about the internet yeah. is that it's giving more people and more people um, that were ancillary or were not a part of storytelling in t TV and film culture a chance to, and an opportunity to tell their stories mm -hmm. and get it seen and get money for it. Because there's such a surplus of content and a desire for it, there, there's money for it. And mm -hmm. that's really exciting to give young filmmakers and storytellers a chance. So that's, I mean, that was Mike Doyle's thing too. Yeah. This was his first feature. He'd made shorts before. But that was his opportunity, and that's part of the culture of streaming services and everything that's mm -hmm. happening. And so. your old boss, who we've already mentioned, Shonda Rhimes, is yeah. really leading that that kind of change in the streaming services that is allowing that, them to become spaces for minorities to tell their stories that's more. Right. more. Will we see you work with her in this new kind of deal she has with Netflix? I don't know. I think anything's possible. I'd always love to go back to work for we her. Would She's love incredible. To see it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Thank you. I'm like, I'm like hoping you say yes. I'm like, please say yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> always. The door's always open there. I mean, it's exciting to see to see her. It's like family and growing up and watching her. We grew up together. Yeah. You know what I mean? And see what she's done. It's been incredible. Yes, and what so, you all did together, you all really changed television yeah. before Netflix. And then yeah, hopefully she did. She was the bravest. She was a trailblazer. She was the one who was casting an African-American chief of staff without asking permission, you know, casting um, Chandra Wilson, the role of, you know, the Nazi when mm -hmm. it was written for, you know, a petite blonde or whatever. Yeah. It was like, she just, she just did it. And Linda Lowy, mm -hmm. Linda Lowy, who cast that show and many other shows like Friday Night Lights and all sorts of, Linda Lowy is like, I have to mention her because she's a <laughs> massive advocate of Chicago mm -hmm. actors and diverse actors and just an incredible human that said, why don't we cast this person? So, Amazing. And yeah. it has changed, uh, yeah. changed everything yeah. for everyone. Well, the last question before you go is about your, your perfume. Boyfriend. Oh, yeah. You know, what made you relaunch it and why are you wanting me to get a boyfriend now? Because that's why I think you're giving it to me. I know, I do. I want you to have a boyfriend. <laughs> yes. Who needs a boyfriend when you have a boyfriend? Yes. No, this is the only one you'll need. That's our little tagline. Um, I, you know, we relaunched. I came up with this, um, geez, 10 years ago. I created it myself. I started my own business. I self-funded. Um, and I did it out of a creative desire and talk about, you know, a need in the environment. I wanted, like, I missed my actual real life boyfriend. We had split up and I missed his scent. But what I realized was I missed his cologne kind of combined with mine and oh. my skin. So I wanted it. We, we called it then. Now it's all fluid, but it was sort of a masculine and feminine mm -hmm. combined. So with this fragrance, like the top notes are juicy plum mm -hmm. and night blooming jasmine. And then you get into the more you know, typically termed, you know, uh, masculine fragrances, the amber, the musk, a little patchouli, a little, and then tears of benzoin, which smells like a very high-grade vanilla. It's mm -hmm. like, so it's very nuzzly and yummy, it's but delicious. juicy, right? It's, you do want to eat it. Yes. We, we sprayed it in the control room. Don't Everyone was bite like, yourself, Ooh. guys, or people may bite you. It's going to happen. <laughs> consent to biting. Yeah, you know, yeah. If you want to get bitten, tell yeah, us. Or consent. <laughs> just, be, just consent to it. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Well, Kate, thank you so much thank for joining you. me today. Yeah, it has thank been you. a pleasure meeting you. Yeah, it's likewise. And also a delicious smell to meet you, thank too. Thank you. 
Thanks very much. <laughs> All right. So if you're looking for more excuses to share pictures of your adorable dogs, be sure to check out mydogsagame.com and share a picture using the hashtag mydogsagame. You can catch Kate Walsh in Umbrella Academy and 13 Reasons Why on Netflix now. But don't go away. More a DM is up next. Here's a tweet from St. Jane's Infirmary. Spread the word, make calls, send letters, emails, and tweet your support of Senate Bill 233, Safety for Sex Workers. Gavin Newsom, please sign it. Help stop violence against sex workers, help stop violence against trans women and people of color. Joining me now to talk about this bill is Kathy Reisenwitz, a writer for the Bay City Beacon. Good morning. Morning. Now, California Governor Gavin Newsom says he will sign uh, this bill into law, um, but for those who haven't been following it, uh, what is it? So SB 233 makes it illegal for the police to arrest a sex worker who's reporting a crime against her. And it also says that cops cannot use uh, carrying condoms as evidence against women if they want to charge them with prostitution or loitering with intent to commit prostitution. So this is a sex worker protection bill, basically. Um, yeah, it's a historic bill. It passed with two-thirds of the Senate, two-thirds of the Assembly. The DA Association and Sheriff's Association were both against it, but sex worker activists prevailed. So what is the current state of sex workers' rights and protections in California? Yeah, I mean, um, the fact that this bill was necessary is uh, really speaks to the situation that sex workers are in. Um, uh, I spoke to Kristen D'Angelo, who's a sex worker activist in Sacramento, and she said uh, a woman recently reported a rape to police and police told her, um, you know, we could investigate this rape, but then we'd have to arrest you. And so this bill is just a, a step in the right direction, but we've got a long way to go. Ultimately, until sex work is decriminalized, um, women are still, women who and men who engage in sex work are still at um, increased risk of uh, abuse and violence. Mm. Now, how do policies that uh, help protect sex workers also help other Californians? I mean, I think that it's important that, um, you know, people who abuse sex workers often go on to abuse other people. So um, San Francisco has actually had uh, this policy on the books for a long time. And there was a situation recently where a woman um, who was doing sex work was stabbed and she was in the hospital and didn't want to report the crime because she was so afraid of prosecution. So uh, activists actually went to um, print out, <laughs> you know, this ordinance in San Francisco and show her, okay, this is, this is the law in black and white. You cannot be prosecuted for reporting this crime. So she was convinced she reported the stabbing and they actually arrested uh, the perpetrator who um, was a serial offender. And so now there's someone in jail right now um, who was a serial, uh, you know, um, assaulter. Um, so I think that getting violent offenders <laughs> um, reported and prosecuted is obviously going to be beneficial to the safety of all of all Californians. Yeah. Now, it seems that a lot of times when we see conversations around uh, sex workers, oftentimes um, human trafficking comes up and these two things are really conflated or we hear people calling for human trafficking um, protections that would uh, potentially marginalize um, sex workers. Um, can you talk about how uh, these kind of high profile fears around human trafficking are used or even weaponized to marginalize sex workers? 
Yeah, absolutely. Unfortunately, when you look at the language of the laws and the way that they're implemented, there's very little distinction between voluntary sex workers and human trafficking victims, which means that um, anyone who is associated with the sex trade, whether it's somebody who's participating um, as a sex worker or it's a client or um, someone who helps facilitate, like who um, helps screen clients uh, for sex workers, anyone can be uh, charged with pimping, with um, with trafficking, with, uh, you know, women who engage voluntarily can still be arrested under these laws. And so until you get more clear definitions, um, unfortunately, what's happening is that a lot of these laws um, that say they're about sex trafficking often only get used or mostly get used to arrest clients and, uh, and voluntary sex workers. Another thing that happens is that um, when police do stings to try to find, um, you know, uh, clients of, of uh, sex trafficking victims. Uh, if they put a police officer out on the streets to pose as a sex worker, all the sex workers on the street will know that this is a police officer. And so they just arrest all of the women on the street. Um, women, men, trans people, like I don't want to, all the sex workers on the street. Um, and sometimes they'll net some underage people in, in these sweeps. Um, but the vast majority of these people are voluntary sex workers. Um, and then the police officer will go out on the street. So we have a lot of like problematic incentives around, uh, sex trafficking. There is a lot of grant money that is, uh, you know, requires that police have arrests. So, what they end up doing is just targeting sex workers and making their lives more difficult, giving them records, um, which makes it more difficult for them to find employment that's not sex work. Um, there's just not a lot of evidence that this highly carceral approach that we're taking to uh, human trafficking is, is working. Well, thank you so much for joining me and talking about this. Of course. And up next, Zach and I are responding to your tweets. Welcome back, y'all. It's time for At Us. And I just have to start off by saying, I'm sorry, Alex, that I smell like a boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> Let me add, come on. You want it? Look at this. Does it smell you great? Smell good. You smell it's really great. good. Yeah. I was getting remiked, and Rose, who works with us, was like, I can smell the boyfriend perfume. Yeah. I, I have to say, like, I really loved that banter between that, so you and Kate Walsh. Yeah, that was My really new best fun. friend. Truly. Your new bestie. She is lovely, lovely, lovely. Your so. new bestie. Well, you know who I want to be my new bestie? Who? I think you do. Jaden reports. And Estelle tweeted this following our conversation with Jaden about last night's debate. Let us all be as confident as Jaden Jefferson. I love him. Uh, he's so great. And our clip of him is doing quite well on the Twitter. People are loving yeah. his commentary. So check he's it out. so delightful. If you want to go back and see his cutting analysis. And so smart. So brilliant. So smart. The youth him. are going to be okay. You know? <laughs> if the world climate change doesn't happen. Okay. All right. Well, we wanted to know what major red flags you've ignored in a relationship. And Princess Leia says, I don't think I've ever ignored a red flag for the sake of love. But I have excused unchanged behaviors, constantly flaking on plans, for example, yep. that I would never excuse or give yep. so many chances to others. Yep. Oh, yeah. Um, no, it's definitely, like, I, I feel like sometimes when you're dating someone, yeah. like, you can make excuses for things that yes. normally you would not stand for. I've made so. excuses for being late to dinner for an hour. Yeah. For, for someone else. Someone else. Was for there. someone else. Yeah. I have the no. worst dating But you would history. never stand, like, no. you would never be okay with no. our friend. Ever. Yeah. Ever. Ever. Well, we all do things for garbage men sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> well, we asked what other celebrities should stay in their lane in the wake of the uh, Mario Lopez news, and Steve says, 
Bruce Willis making records. Um, apparently, he made something called The Return of Bruno in 1987. Oh. Also, he made some some music called If It Don't Kill You, It Just Ooh. Makes You Stronger in 1989. First time I'm hearing of this, which is perhaps a testament to staying in your lane. Exactly. And I will not be do. listening to it on the Spotify.com. So okay. It's not a Spotify.com, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you to our guests, Jaden Jefferson, Jordan Holman, Kathy Reisenwitz, and Kate Walsh. And Zach is off tomorrow, but Sylvia O'Bell and I will be here at 10 a.m. Have a great rest of your day. See y'all Monday. Bon voyage. I'm leaving. <laughs> 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 <laughs>